Welcome to the GAIN Service Academy Admission Podcast. In these episodes, we will explore all things related to gaining a coveted appointment to the Air Force Academy, Naval Academy, and West Point. And here are your hosts, Rob Kirkland and Trish Penroth. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm here with Lieutenant Colonel Kirkland, and we are here excited to talk to you about the Space Force today. How are you today, Colonel Kirkland? I'm doing good, Trish. I mean, it's been a little while. I know we've I've done a, a podcast or two, I think, without you, and I missed you. <laughs> I missed being on the show. <laughs> Where have you been? I know you can. <laughs> uh, surviving Florida somehow. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So, yeah. So, but it's good to be back. I know we, you know, we've been wanting to do this uh, podcast about Space Force and, uh, and I'm just so happy we're, we're able to finally get this done. And yes, me too, which is yeah. why I'm really excited to introduce First Lieutenant Sam Cremeyer today to the show. How are you, Sam? I am doing great. How are you? Very well. And we are very excited to have you on the show. Um, can you, um, very excited to talk about, you are a recent graduate of the Air Force Academy, correct? The class of 2018? That is correct. And uh, I'm 2011 myself, so I'm sure some things have changed. And I'm really excited to get your perspective today about the Air Force Academy, what your experience was like. Um, I mean, does it seem like it was a long time ago now? You know, it kind of does. I even kind of look back and people talk about 2020 and I'm like, I feel like we're still in 2020, but it's, it's 2021 and that's almost over. So 2018 (laughs) feels like, you know, centuries ago. I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about your background and and where you're from? Yeah, absolutely. So, so first of all, I'll start off with saying how awesome this this podcast is. If I had something like this years ago, oh man, that would have um, been a huge benefit. But yeah, just a little bit about me. Um, I actually grew up in Colorado, um, about two hours north of where the academy was in uh, the Fort Collins, Loveland area. And so I, I grew up there pretty much my entire life, grew up in a pretty large family. And uh, with with six older brothers and two little sisters, so there's never wow. a dull moment. <laughs> yeah, never a dull moment in the Cremeyer household, and uh, a lot of fun growing up. Um, but something that uh, something that we did growing up was was wrestle. That was kind of the sport of choice because we were always kind of wrestling in the living room. So might as well just make it a make it a an official thing, and that kind of plays into my story a little bit later uh, with the Academy as well. So I take, I take it that was one of the factors that helped you get into the the Air Force Academy. Yeah, it was. And, um, so I actually didn't get into the Academy on my first go. I think part of it was because I was a little late on (laughs) all of the application and stuff. I kind of made my way through high school, not really thinking about, you know, the future or what's after high school. You know, I figured I'd just kind of apply for colleges um, and then get in that way and then maybe just see where life takes me. Um, but, you know, the academy, you have to kind of have this rigorous application um, yeah, process. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And it, 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 you have to kind of get on that early. So, um, you know, I kind of let that get past me, you know, my senior year, I can't really 
put in an application for the Air Force Academy in May, you know, <laughs> you can't really expect any good results there. So, um, yeah, had a lot of had a lot of fun in high school, but realized maybe you know um, the academy is something that I wanted to pursue. And I actually had one of my older brothers who was a phenomenal wrestler and got recruited by you know West Point as well as the Air Force Academy. Um, chose the Air Force Academy, and I kind of got to you know watch him go through his academy life. He was a 14 grad, and um, just kind of see, you know, the rigors that were, uh, when he was a freshman, sophomore and all that stuff, but also the opportunities that were being presented to him. Um, and then as I kind of matured in my life and where I wanted to go, I kind of saw, Hey, you know, it is great to, to have a plan after high school, you know, college can be tough and it can be expensive. And, you know, not everybody that goes to college will have a, a guaranteed job afterwards and oh yeah your your college is kind of covered um you know financially you know you do have to make some sacrifices here and there um but it's it's something where you know delayed gratification is certainly uh something when it comes to hey what do I want to do for the next four years of my life do I want to kind of live it up in a in a college dorm or you know go a different path or do I want to kind of put my nose to the grindstone for the next four years it might be a little uh, little tough and not your average college experience, but it's going to reap some benefits down the road. So having to think about that before, you know, even this whole application process was, you know, an interesting time in a, in a teenager's life. I bet. And it's very interesting that uh, you didn't and you didn't apply your your senior year and that that you went the year after. When would you say you first really got serious about applying? Um, so it, I owe a lot of the the credit to, to my brother, um, because he kind of helped pave that way. And he was a, an excellent wrestler in, in the, in, at the Air Force Academy, had a lot of success there. And, and I still wrestled in high school and, and found some successes there as well. But the coaches at the Academy said, Hey, yeah, this is a guy that we're, we're still willing to pursue and invest in. So let's continue to, to keep the conversation going. I understand that, you know, you can get in directly after your senior year. We'll work with you. Um, so I went to CSU, Colorado State University for a semester. And uh, I kind of, you know, made my way through the application process. If it's going to be, it's going to be. Um, but if not, it's, you know, it's not the end of the world. But as I continue to go through my college experience and one part was seeing the kind of debt that I was racking up. And another part was seeing like, Hey, this isn't super fulfilling. And I always felt in my life that I was called for, for something more. And by no means am I kind of knocking um, individuals that go to a university. I, I think there's a lot of great things there, but I was just kind of, you know, not really tapping into my full potential is, is how I would put it when I was there. And um, I decided not to continue going to college. Uh, afterwards or at, at CSU because it was, it was just kind of too expensive for me. Uh, but my application was in for the academy. I kind of checked all the boxes I need to with the fitness test and meeting with my um, ALO and all this other stuff you need to do. And I was kind of in limbo for about a month, kind of keeping my fingers crossed. And, you know, I was, it, it was in those moments where I was like, you know, I, I really hope this, this works out. Um, this is, you know, this is something passionate 
or something that I'm I'm passionate about, and I'm not really going to know what's what my life is going to entail if I if I don't get into the academy. Sure, I'll figure it out, but this is kind of one of my heart's desires to to go to this this school and experience all these different opportunities. Yeah, and clearly you you pivoted uh, very well. <laughs> it worked yeah. out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, luckily. Now, um, when you went to CSU, what what type of classes did you take while you were there? Did you did you plan anything in advance, like thinking, okay, I'm going to take classes that will prepare me for the Air Force Academy, or did you just take general core? What what was your strategy? Uh, my strategy there was, hey, let's let's check all the boxes as soon as possible, like all the core ones that you needed to take, like physics and um, I think music appreciation was one of them. One of those electives that you kind of have to, you know, yeah, put on the the the, the schedule. But it, that was an interesting class. I think I took a uh, history of eighteen seventy five to present class uh what else was there i think well physics and history sounds both like classes that the academy are really pay attention to you know and they want to see that you're going to succeed with all the math and the engineering heavy courses there yeah and those i'll tell you what i at csu i struggled pretty hard with physics but then at the academy it was like one of my favorite classes so it was a huge kind (laughs) of turn there. Was that because of the curriculum or the teachers or what, why do you think that happened? Um, and I'm sure this will come up later, you know, in the conversation, but the, I don't know if it was my learning style or, you know, some of the instructors at the academy are, you know, top of the line class sizes, you know, max is 20 to 25 individuals, but my physics class at CSU, I think had, you know, over 200 people in it. Maybe it's over a hundred, but you know, it's that huge auditorium, you know, where you don't have a lot of attention, you know, don't really feel like asking a question right now because, you know, I'm just in a room full of all these other individuals. So why does it matter? Um, but I was pretty, I was pretty lazy in, in, uh, in, in my college days when it, when it came to CSU. Yeah, quite the transition to go from the ability to to have that and then to the structure of the Air Force Academy. Right. Yeah. I think <laughs> I think that's what I needed. <laughs> so other than your brother, did did anyone else was anyone else in your family in the military? Surprisingly, no. Um I uh going through life, I never really even thought about it. You know, you have a lot of great characters and individuals growing up where, you know, it's their it's their main goal to serve their country, you know, because their their dad did and their you know grandpa did and their dad and all you know it kind of goes through the lineage. But you know myself, I didn't really know anyone particularly. Um, had an uncle, I believe, that served in the army for a little bit, but it was just something that I didn't really think about. And even in high school, you know, I didn't really think about doing the the JROTC programs at all. Um, I did do a couple of those pull-up challenges at wrestling tournaments. The Marine Corps <laughs> like to come out for those, but that's yeah. that's about the only uh, connection I had and desire to to be in the military. So it sounds like your brother had a very huge influence on your decision. Yeah, and I, I, he'd probably agree with me to say that he didn't really have a whole lot of desire either. Um, but he was an individual that could see opportunity. Um, and then just, you know, how, how could I not capitalize on this? And obviously, you know, there, there are some athletes that, um, have, uh, you know, 
they get recruited and, you know, they don't really know what it's going to be like at the academy, but it's an opportunity to go to continue to do some, doing something they're passionate about, whether that's playing football or wrestling or playing tennis. Um, but I think, you know, any, any grad can kind of see like, Hey, that's not going to keep you there. Um, your sport, if that's the only reason why, then, you know, that's not a sustainable thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, we like to break down the admissions process into three type of categories the and it's the same it's it's the attributes that the admissions panel looks at when when they're looking at a candidate it's the scholar the athlete and the leader aspects of your high school career and uh, you know it unlike traditional college where you really just scholar with some extracurriculars the athlete and the leader play a larger role uh, would you say, how would you say that you fit into those three categories um, from your high school days and even into your year of college? Yeah, so I think um, on the, I guess, starting with the scholar side of the house, you know, I I always kind of got my work done. I wasn't a 4.0 student um, by any means, but I think I kind of maintained like a 3.3, 3.4 uh, GPA. And this is a high school where I think uh, we are 5A. Uh, I went to Loveland High School and I think our graduating class was around like 356 or so. Um, and I think I might have been top 20%. I'm not sure. It's it's crazy to think that that was like 10 years ago. Um, <laughs> but, you know, academically, I, you know, I sought those AP classes. Um, it, I, I would say partially because a lot of my friends were taking them and I kind of surrounded myself by kids that you know, were, were great in the academic realm, um, and just good kids to kind of hang around. Um, so I wasn't, you know, a genius by any means, but I really just got my, my work done on time. And I think people will find if you do that, you'll do pretty well. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and those AP classes are huge too, you know, pushing yourself, surrounding yourself with people who are going to push you, which it sounds like your friends were doing. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think I maybe took a total of four AP classes and took some tests there. I was I was actually pretty good in math. I enjoyed that class and I think made it to like Calc BC, AP Calc BC. Wow, that's um, impressive. My, yeah. My senior year. So that I think helped a lot when it came to academy curriculum. But I'll tell you what, some of those AP classes that I took the tests and I got like a, my highest score was a one. <laughs> so oh, no. I, yeah. So if, if there's anybody out there that struggles with AP test taking, there is hope, but, um, yeah, it wasn't the best, wasn't the best AP test taker. Um, but that's just because I, I didn't prepare very well. And, you know, I thought to myself, if I, you know, what's the use of transferring these AP um, classes into, into college. I think I can, but I'll need a really high score, but I'm not going to put in the work to, to prepare. So that was, that was the reason for my failure on that part. And how did you do on the SAT or ACT? Um, yeah, so that was, a I, I completely forgot about that one. The, uh, so I didn't have to take the SAT, uh, in Colorado, but the ACT, I actually had to take three times. Uh, because there was a minimum threshold for the academy that I kind of had to get. Uh, I think I did pretty good on the the math and science portion. I think I got around like 27 or 28. But um, 
for, for the reading and writing portion, I think for the reading, I got an 18. So it was, it was pretty low. And that was the score that I had to keep going back and, and get that test grade up because I'm one of those individuals that will read something. I'm, I get so much anxiety, you know, when I'm taking a test and if I'm reading, I'm all I'm thinking about is how terrible I'm doing at the test and I'm not paying attention <laughs> to the words I'm reading. And then I get to the end and yeah. I'm like, Holy cow! What did I read? Some of these. Yeah, that's that's how I felt when I took the SAT. (laughs) Yeah, and it was like I don't have time to you know go back and read this again, so I have to guess. So, you know, long story short, wasn't the best uh, reading test taker, and that's also because I didn't really enjoy reading growing up or anything like that. But you know, that has certainly changed. Um, Love love reading books now. It's funny how that changes as you get older. Sometimes. Yeah. But. It's really nice that they uh, most of the academy is super score, right? So if if there is that lower test score, you can keep retesting, and the academy will take the higher scores for each category, which is which is great. Yeah, and that that was super helpful. And um, the, on the athlete side of the house, um, I kind of you know hinted on it a little bit earlier. Um, growing up in a, in a pretty big family, going to wrestling tourna- tournaments a lot. Uh, that's something that I found I was pretty gifted with. Um, I think got fourth in state my sophomore year, fourth my junior year, and then uh, was a state champion my senior year. So that really helped with um, the athlete portion. Um, just kind of, and I also did kind of like cross country. I was I was the slowest guy on the cross country team, but it was such a fun group to to be around and hang out with. And I think it helped just kind of with my my athletics and then also did track like my senior year just for kicks, um, just cause it was fun. But, um, yeah, that, that athlete side and then the leader side I was involved with, um, student council, um, in, in my high school, the, the student council was a, a lot of fun people. Um, I think that's kind of why I joined, um, wasn't, you know, super thrilled about like committees and, um, doing all that stuff, but it was really like, Hey, what are my friends doing? I'm going to go just like hang out with them because we have a class set aside where I can just go and, <laughs> and chill with them. Um, and then, you know, just kind of found myself, um, through the years and my senior years becoming, uh, the senior class president there. So I think that was a good help on the, you know, that, that side of the house when it comes to the, the scholar athlete leader. Yeah. Any position within the student body, but specifically class president, <laughs> definitely a big help. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, certainly. Colonel Kirkland, do you have any other questions? Yeah, no, the- I think it's, I think it's great. Um, I mean, these were very, very insightful. Um, you know, I think it, uh, it shows, I mean, you know, that Sam, you're a very well-rounded uh, individual and, um, you know, and, and was certainly, you know, somebody who, you know, was, uh, you know, was a worthy candidate of the Air Force Academy. So that's, that's great. I, I guess my other question, uh, you know, and on our outline is, um, you know, your the interview portion of this and, and, you know, with both your congressman and uh, your ALO, how did, how did that go in general? Any, anything to, you know, take out of those? Yeah. So I think he, you know, any smart ALO seeing where I was in the application process, you know, somebody, you know, going through CSU, um, maybe doesn't have as robust of a resume as a lot of the other individuals that got into the Academy. 
um, you know, the, I, I'm pretty sure my ALO was like, yeah, there's, there's no chance. <laughs> and, um, so that was kind of a blow, but luckily they don't have a final say on a lot of that stuff. So through the process of like continuing to work through my resume and, uh, work with the coaches at the Academy, um, was able to get a spot at, with the prep school. Um, so didn't get anything from my congressman, um, you know, going into the prep school, cause that's not a mandatory thing. Um, but the prep school is really a, a, a great opportunity for athletes to kind of get that red shirt year under their belts. Um, since you can't, can't do that, uh, at the air force Academy, but the, the prep school, you know, you also take some classes that are very, you know, very, I guess, pointed to and, and prepare you for the classes that you're going to be taking, uh, up on the hills, what they kind of call it, uh, at the Academy. And so, you know, the, the, the math classes, the, the physics classes, the writing and all that stuff, they do a great job at posturing you to be successful there while balancing what it looks like to be at a military Academy, um, uh, balancing, um, uh, what it means to be an athlete, uh, and all that stuff too. And coming out of that, you have to, you have to do a really hard, it's really difficult not to get like a congressional, uh, nomination going into the academy. A lot of people from the prep school, there's a very, very small amount that don't. So that's kind of what helped me get that nomination going into the academy. Yeah, we've uh, we've done a podcast on the prep school. And I think one of the major reasons why the prep school is so advantageous, if you can, you know, they call it the golden ticket is uh, also because, you know, you're, you're considered active duty Air Force. So you can, you know, you qualify under or more, you know, more of the folks who go to the uh, prep school, you know, fall under those categories that allows them to get, you know, nominations through different sources. Right. Exactly. Oh, that's great. Well, that's, that's, that's awesome. I mean, you know, uh, God, we should, uh, Trish, we should invite him back to get uh, his impression about the prep school. Definitely. (laughs) I'm just thinking, I didn't even realize on the, on our sheet that he was actually a prep school graduate too. That's pretty cool. So probably we could, you know, we could probably, you know, talk about that for a while here, but we probably just, you know, want to just finish up that part with, you know, kind of, uh, you know, about his, you know, impressions about the Air Force Academy and, you know, and things like that. So, um, so I guess, uh, Sam, uh, you know, what'd you major in and, you know, what, uh, how did, what'd you, once you got, once you uh, went into the Air Force Academy, how was your experience there? Yeah. So, um, I kind of had an idea what my, my major was going to be. I had floated this idea of, you know, did I want to be a pilot? Because, you know, it, it seems sometimes that that can kind of point you in a certain direction of what major you want to do. Um, but I found a lot of my passions lied in the business realm. So I did business management. Um, my dad own, you know, owns a, a small business. And so I, I also like working with people, um, you know, solving problems on that level. Um, I do enjoy, you know, your, your STEM type of curriculum. So, and you will get a lot of that at the Academy, but once it came to like, Hey, what does it look like to, you know, scale a business or, you know, what does innovation look like? What does consulting look like or marketing and all that stuff? That's kind of what, what made me tick. And so, you know, I didn't really get into that until probably sophomore, junior year, but I think I rang the bell, um, which is essentially, you know, declaring your major my, my freshman year, maybe the, the second semester. Um, so that was uh, 
that was, uh, you know, something that I don't regret right now and something that I'm applying to my, my active duty job, um, you know, in the space force, but, um, you know, the, the, the classes were, were great, you know, that I, I think I kind of mentioned earlier with, you know, I think it does make a difference with, with the, the teacher or the instructor, the, uh, the curriculum that they're going through the, the class size. Um, and you know, I, sure if people have listened to this podcast maybe it has been mentioned you know the it's called ei extra instruction where you know instructors are you know kind of mandated to set aside this time where students can block off their calendars and go get that extra instruction if they have certain questions or they don't get a concept they can go and do that um so you know the 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 stuff was at least the content was pretty rigorous and it was a lot. Um, but they were able to break it down and help you understand in a way that was easily understandable. Um, I don't think we have talked about EI before, and that's such a good point to make compared to traditional college, that extra ability to just get hands-on instruction for the things that you don't understand. Yeah, it's, you know, I've, I've leveraged it. I know people that have, have used it a lot in the past too. And instructors actually like, they love it. You know, they're not ones that are like, Oh no, somebody, you know, has my whole entire schedule booked because they can't understand this dang process or concept. It's like, Hey, you know, they love having you in there to, 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 you know, expand your learning and try to get some of those concepts. So yeah, it's, you know, something I never heard of before. Uh, until I went to the academy. And what would you say it's like uh, living where you work and always living with the military mindset and just being on campus all the time? Yeah, that was, that was a tough one for me. Um, And I think, you know, just, just even going through, through basic at the start was a, was a shock. Uh, And then, you know, you, you wake up in your office essentially and (laughs) you wake up where you work um, because you do your homework in your dorm room, you, you sleep in your dorm room, you hang out with your friends in your dorm room, and then you go to class or you go to practice. Um, so you spend a lot of time there. So it can get a little, you know, taxing. Um, but you know, there is some resiliency and in, in character that has built up through that. Um, certainly makes you take the little things for granted, like having that kind of freedom, but it also just, you know, kind of helps you stay on, stay on track with time management. Um, you know, you walk a couple steps to, to get food <laughs> and then you walk some more steps to, to go to class and then you, you leave, you know, it's, it's you kind of live in one small, uh, radius, but it's, you know, if you make a lot of good friends there, then it's, it's a lot of fun to just, you can just walk over to your, your buddy's room and just hang out for, for a little bit and joke around. Yeah, definitely. Um, speaking of buddies, did you have any classmates that changed their mind and left before graduation? Um, yeah, I think, uh, I, you know, being on the wrestling team, a lot of my friends were, were in that, um, were in that, I guess, I guess on the wrestling team. So, so a lot of my squad mates and stuff like that, I did see some leave, did see some teammates leave, uh, and it was, it was kind of a bummer, you know, there, there was certainly times when I thought, man, it'd be a lot better if, if I left, I, I think I could kind of make it going to a different university or doing something else. Um, but you know, it's, it was never something that I could come to grips to is, you know, it, you know, giving up this, this opportunity that a lot of people, you know, spend their life trying to, 
to accomplish and that, you know, maybe they can't get in. So it was always kind of a bummer to see people that I was acquainted with say like, Hey, yeah, this is, you know, this is just not for me. I'm going to go, going to go do something else with my life. I, I think we saw a lot of athletes kind of do that. Did you think the most common reason for that was just that they saw other opportunities that they wanted to pursue or they were tired of the military environment? What do you think like the, the most common reasons for leaving were? Yeah, I think at least for athletes, probably one of the most common things was maybe they didn't get the right picture or understanding of what they're getting themselves into. Um, yeah. You know, they probably thought, oh, I'm just going to go kind of do this sport and uh, just go to class and it's all going to be kind of covered. Um, but you know, they they didn't really see that there's this whole other military aspect to it. Um, and then those that, you know, kind of weren't, um, I, I think a big part of it was academics. Um, people that, you know, couldn't maintain the, the, the baseline GPA to make it through. And then, you know, maybe it was just too hard and they couldn't really figure out time management. Um, and then they just kind of thought, Hey, yeah, you know, this isn't for me. I don't really want to do the military anyways. I can't see myself serving after. So they, you know, I think that was a a huge part of it. That makes a lot of sense. And, um, do you know how many people about you started with freshman year and then how many people graduated in your class? Yeah, I think, uh, our freshman class, when we kind of came Maybe it was going into basic because, you know, there are some that kind of weed out after that. I think it was around 1,200 um, that, that went in. And then when we graduated, I think we graduated with, you know, the mid-800s, so maybe like 800 and, you know, wow. 840 or something. So Wow. You know. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's quite a hit. Oh, wow. Very, very interesting. I, I'm uh, most most years. I think it's more in the mid nine nine hundreds, or like maybe low nine hundreds. But eight forty. That's uh, that's very quite. Uh, you guys had a tough year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not sure what happened, but you just some people just saw it wasn't for them. Definitely. Well, um, let's talk about your career in the space force. Yeah. I think maybe some people listening to this are like, what <laughs> did they just say <laughs> space force? But yes, yes, it's a thing. Can you tell us a little about what the space force is? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, the space force stood up, I think the birthday is December 20th, 2019. Um, so it's very, very new. Um, you know, something that was in the NDAA for that year was the birth of space force. And so if you're familiar with kind of the, the structure of the Air Force and some of the MAGCOMs that were in there, what they thought, you know, with, with former President Donald Trump, you know, kind of saying, hey, there is a need for a space force. Uh, I think, you know, where things are headed in, in, the, in, in the future, it would be prudent for us to, to have this own separate military branch. And one of the MAGCOMs in, in the Air Force was Air Force Space Command. So they just kind of took... Uh, you know, all the mission that was happening there uh, and stood up, you know, its own kind of military branch. So there was a lot of space bases in the Air Force. Um, you had Vandenberg Air Force Base, Buckley, Peterson. Vanden- Vandenberg's in California, right? Buckley and Peterson are in Colorado. That's correct. Yeah. And I was actually at Vandenberg for my first assignment. Um, 
So, and then there's Patrick uh, out in, in Florida, but you also have like Thule, which is in Greenland and some other locations that now the Space Force has. And I think here pretty recently, you know, you had like Peterson Air Force Base switch to Peterson Space Force Base and same thing with Buckley and Vandenberg and, and Patrick there. But um, yeah, it's a super interesting thing. And I think a lot of people... We're like, hey, this kind of came out of nowhere. Why are we kind of doing this? But uh, I got the opportunity to tour the the Pentagon a couple months ago in my position. And we got to see, you know, the Space Force, um, Heritage Hall, and a lot of the cool things um, and and some of the the different makers in that realm. But, you know, they were actually contemplating standing up a a Space Force back before 9-11. And, you know, once that kind of went down, I think it made people kind of shift their attention and their focus on some other things, um, you know, rightfully so. But that was something that was being communicated and looked at even that long ago. So kind of an interesting thing. So does that mean that uh, I I remember the domains of the Air Force are uh, airspace and cyberspace or used to be space. So now is it Air Force, is it just air and in cyberspace and space force has taken on space completely. Yeah. I'm not sure. I think they're still writing or maybe they just published something just recently, but I think the the air force is still the same. And I'm not sure if that's because, you know, similar to what you see with the Marine Corps and the Navy, you know, where the space force is in the department of the air force. Um, But, you know, you have the, the chief of staff of the air force, uh, who kind of is the, the highest ranking individual for the Air Force. But then you have the chief of space operations, who's a four star as well, who has kind of been elevated into the same position serving under the, the secretary of the Air Force. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's a good way to, I think, think about it maybe as the Marine Corps Commandant, you know, as part of the Navy, uh, but yet it's a separate service. But uh you know, but maybe the Navy takes on uh, a lot of logistics and administrative overhead for the Marine Corps. Right. Something yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, you know, when the Space Force stood up, they, they kept it in their minds that, hey, we want to keep this a pretty small, small force. And you will have aspects of the Air Force still supporting uh, the Space Force, you know, they they transferred over a, a small amount of AFSCs, um, Air Force specialty codes, kind of your your career number, what what uh, what job you have um, into the Space Force, and so the ones that they transferred over, they had like their organic ones that were, you know, this is kind of obvious uh, to transfer over with, you know, you have space operations. Um, so yeah, let's, let's go ahead and transfer them over automatically, but you had others that were optional, um, common AFSCs and that was like intelligence, cyber engineers and acquisitions where, you know, they can support both, but there's also a very unique, um, niche with the space realm and space domain where, you know, cyber intel and acquisitions, all that, it would make sense to make a separate one. So those were the, some of the others that had the option to transfer into the space force. But, you know, if you have like security forces contracting or some of the other AFSCs, they, you know, those don't exist within, within the, the space force and that are supported from, from the air force. So Sam, as a space force officer, 
Uh, how long now have you been a first lieutenant? Yeah, so I started out um, when I graduated the academy. I um, commissioned as a second lieutenant in the Air Force. And so I was a second lieutenant for two years um, while I was out at Vandenberg um, in a contracting squadron um, serving, and you know, a 64P is what they call it. It's an OPEX. Um, I could probably talk about that later. Um, so I was still in the Air Force as a second lieutenant and then was in the Air Force as a first lieutenant for, I believe, let's see, I think nine months, um, and then transferred into the Space Force. Um, so then you know, back in February was when I was officially transferred over into the Space Force, and you know, I'm still a, a first lieutenant. So I've been a first lieutenant for a little over a year, maybe closer to a year and a half. So you've been in the Space Force now for about eight months. That's correct. That, yeah. Wow. Okay. That's great. That's great. And uh, it seems like a lot of people, like there's a bunch of different ways to get into the Space Force. And what you did, it seems like it's about a third of what's going on in terms of um, they're taking about 100 current Air Force officers a year and transferring them into the Space Force. Uh, this year, or, or excuse me, last year, the Air Force Academy graduated 118 officers into the Space Force. And ROTC graduated about 60 officers. So, you know, about a little over 100 are, are transitioning from the Air Force, but brand new second lieutenants every year, it's about 200. Yeah, that's super interesting. Yeah, when I, I transferred, it was, you know, hey, we're going to figure out how to transfer because I was an acquisitions guy. Um, I just did contracting as a, you know, an operational experience, but my main job was acquisition. So they, when they kind of let it out saying, Hey, space force is going to be a thing. We're going to transfer some acquisition folks in, you know, let's sign up here if you want to even do that. So I was kind of part of the first wave of taking all the air force individuals, uh, and then transferring those into the space force, at least in the acquisition career field. Uh, and then that just kind of finally went through back in February for, for at least CGOs, you know, your company grade officers. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, a- no, I was going to say that, um, sorry to interrupt there, Trish. Oh, I was great. just going to ask about, um, I mean, what, what do you see that the junior role in Space Force being junior officer role um, being in Space Force with the different, uh, uh, you know, uh, AFSCs? Yeah, so I think it's um, it's different across the board. Um, if you you kind of look at you know space operations or you know the the ones that are you know on the ops floors working on the mission, you know as as a young officer, you know, you're probably leading a flight of of other individuals, um, just kind of seeing depending on your mission um, that it, you know whether you're, you're working shifts or whatever that, you know, the, the mission gets done, um, you know, and then, you know, some of the other common AFSCs that are supporting, whether that's Intel cyber, uh, being an engineer or acquisitions, you're, you're finding new innovative ways to, to push the mission forward and support the operators. Um, so as a, you know, just a first lieutenant, you know, it might seem like, Hey, I don't have a lot of impact, when it comes to acquisitions, but, you know, the, the space force, I think is kind of setting itself up in a manner where, you know, you don't have to be a, 
you know, a colonel or, you know, a, a three-star or anything like that to make a lot of impact. Um, you, you know, as a, a young officer, you're encouraged to kind of shake things up a little bit um, and, and maybe take, uh, take some risks and help, you know, the decision makers see and understand that kind of risk, uh, at least in the acquisition realm. Um, I'm finding new ways to try to, you know, speed up and kind of break down some bureaucratic walls that, you know, the, the DOD has put in place when it comes to acquisitions, you know, and, and that's, that's probably a whole nother podcast and issue is, you know, <laughs> acquisitions within the, the department of defense. But, oh, yeah. you know, as a, as a young Lieutenant, it's just fun to try to go and find different innovative ways to, to, to make things move faster. And Sam, what kind of budget are you responsible for? Um, so my case is a little different. Um, so I, I'm part of an organization called space camp. <laughs> and so that's, uh, it's not the, uh, the, the kids camp that y- you go to when you're younger to learn about, um, space and astronauts and stuff like that. Although I do wish that I, I did go there. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> I did not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but it's, uh, stands for commercially augmented mission platform. And so we develop software for, for the, the space operators and, you know, people within the space force, um, really taking industry practices and finding out how to, to do that in the, the, the DOD, because in the past software, you know, the, the DOD didn't do software very well. You spend many months and years trying to develop something and you deliver it and it doesn't work. Um, but here at, at space camp, we, you know, take into what, what makes your, your Facebooks and your Googles and your Netflix is so successful with software development and bring it into space camp. So, um, the, it, it kind of started a little, you know, underground <laughs> and then people saw the value of it and, you know, are, are, are wanting to invest in it. Um, and so it, we're not necessarily a program of record where we have, uh, the, this big pot of money where we kind of have to allocate resources and, and, and send, you know, investments here and there, but we do a lot of customer funding. So we work with other organizations within the, the space force and they'll kind of send us money for lack of a better term. And I don't want to get too much into the weeds on <laughs> acquisitions and nippers and all that fun stuff, but um, yeah, they just partner with us and they, they want us to build out a capability for them. So I know that was a long way to answer a, a you know, small <laughs> question, but no, I mean... uh, la- last year we probably did, you know, speaking in commercial terms, probably around $33 million of, of business. And is that for your organization or, you know, how much of a piece of that are you, are you responsible for on a, um, throughout the year? Yeah, so that's that's for the whole organization. But I myself and some of the work that I do um, in in an acquisition role, I kind of force or oversee all of that. That's a that's a huge responsibility for a company grade officer. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting. And then even in like the the contracting realm, when I was at when I was in a contracting squadron, I was able to get my warrant, which essentially allows you to to spend the government's money. Um, you know, it's, it's taxpayer dollars, but you see, you see company grade officers in the air force, uh, in charge of, you know, signing and entering into contracts with individuals for $5 million up to an unlimited amount. Uh, you know, if they're going on deployments too, they have that kind of, that, that authority. And if you're managing contracts, 
I think I was managing a, a total contract portfolio of around, you know, $102 million. Um, yeah. So a lot of responsibility, but it's, it's fun. And what do you, what do you think the most important trait uh, in terms of like an intrinsic military trait uh, is in, in that type of position, like something from, you know, the, the honor code type trait? Yeah. Um, so there's a, some horror stories out there when it comes to, you know, if you're working with, uh, with a, a large amount of money and you're working with contractors, um, you know, sometimes there can be things that happen behind doors and, um, looking for, for deals to be made, but, you know, just, just kind of having that integrity, uh, I'd say is, is a huge trait and something that, you know, you kind of pick up a lot at, um, at an academy is, is, you know, just doing the right thing, even when no one's watching. Um, so that, that certainly helps in that realm when you're, you, you know, you have to bring some, <laughs> some integrity into business transactions or, or contracts and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Most, most definitely. Um, I guess kind of looking at acquisitions as a whole, you know, stepping back, uh, why did you choose acquisitions from the academy, and uh, what op- other options were available, and how competitive was acquisitions? So when I was kind of going through and trying to figure out what I wanted to do um, in the Air Force, you know, I didn't really want to go the pilot route or anything like that. Um, but you know, being in business management, one of the things that I could see translate, uh, you know, as best as possible was acquisitions, um, managing programs. Um, and, you know, whether that's handling a budget or, you know, trying to make timelines or, or, or managing, uh, that type of stuff, acquisitions fit, um, most, uh, I guess, snugly, if that's a word, uh, I'm not sure it is, but I did say my reading and writing wasn't the best score in my <laughs> ACT, but we'll catch a um, break. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, so yeah, they also had that opportunity for an OPEX. Um, where you go and do a different AFSC for the first three years to kind of gain some some different experience and what other career fields are doing. And contracting was another one of those things where it's like, hey, I'm, I might be able to apply a lot of these different business principles to my job. And, you know, I get to work with people and manage programs and, and budgets and all that stuff. So that's what I saw was most applicable there. Um, and it sounded, you know, the coolest to me. Um, certainly, I'm not flying, you know, Mach 1.2 or whatever, but <laughs> I am able to, you know, kind of see how, how dollars are flowing through uh, the mission. And so I think in my grade, when we graduated, there's, I want to say maybe there was like 60 slots um, spread across contracting and acquisitions. And I think the year after me, I think they took it off like the like that, uh, I don't think there was any opportunities for acquisitions or contracting. So it's, it's one of those things where it, it might change here and there, but I think they've probably come to a, you know, a better cadence on how many are, are, are open, but you know, it's, it's nothing close to, you know, there's, you know, 600 or 700 pilot slots. Maybe that's a, a really high number, but maybe it's more like 300 or 350. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, there's, there's a small number for, for acquisitions and contracting, but you don't, you honestly don't learn a whole lot about it. You know, when you're at the Academy, um, full transparency, when I got contracting, I was like, okay, I I know it's working with money and projects and stuff, but what is it? Like, what, (laughs) what is contracting? I hear contracting officer, but I don't know what that means. So, 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I think one of the great opportunities, uh, that is available to cadets at the, the service academies is to go on those summer exposure programs, go overseas to bases or stateside to bases and, and get exposure to different, yeah. uh, air force specialty codes. But I don't, unfortunately, I don't think contracting is, is a very common one that people get to see beforehand. Yeah, I do remember shadowing one. One, I went to Travis on mine, and I, I shadowed the contracting office for, I think uh, maybe an hour or two, and I still walked away, and I was like, I don't, I don't know. Maybe that was because I couldn't <laughs> really wrap my head around it. <laughs> I was, I was stuck in California, so maybe I wasn't really paying attention. But yeah, paperwork. <laughs> that's all I heard. <laughs> well, um, it's it's really interesting how it's grown over the last few years because, you know, the year when Space Force stood up, I think 30 cadets from the Air Force Academy commissioned directly into the Space Force. Uh, last year, 2020, 86 cadets, and then uh, 2021, 118. So it's definitely growing. There's That's an crazy. opportunity. Yeah. And, and um, my understanding is it's, it is still very competitive, uh, even with 118 slots. But as you know, since they've opened up more career field space operations, Intel, cyber acquis- uh, and acquisitions, there's just more opportunity now for yeah. people uh, within Space Force. Colonel Kirkland, um, I know you have some insight on the ROTC side of the house. Yeah, I, um, I talked to a uh, a uh, professor of aerospace science regarding uh, what the current uh, sessions are going on with the ROTC. Uh, Air Force ROTC into the Space Force, and he his answer, uh, Sam was, um, and I'll just read it: is that uh, it's very competitive. First, uh, there's a 13S Space Operations Officer Board, where the co- cadets compete for the uh, Air Force um, Specialty Code 13S, and then uh, Air Force ROTC runs a full rated board, including those who competed in the 13S board. For those selected for both, the cadet will be given a position for which they're most more qualified, meaning the higher order of merit they receive. Um, so they say USSF takes precedence if they compete for that service. So there are about 60 slots per year with 24 coming from tech degrees and 36 coming from non-tech. However, if they have a critical major such as electrical engineering or meteorology, they're ineligible for the 13S board. As far as GPA, the minimums are greater than 2 or equal to 2.0, but in reality, they are looking at much higher as in the mid to high threes. Uh, They need to take the AFOQT like everyone else. Uh, No tests are required similar to pilots. Uh, So that's that's his overview of uh, the ROTC route. And just from... My standpoint, looking at, it looks to be that the much harder route to Space Force is through uh, ROTC than the Air Force Academy. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Those are some some crazy numbers. Yeah, I mean, it looks like uh, you know if it's only sixty, and you know, I know that Air Force ROTC uh, total numbers is uh, you know uh, you know each year I think. Uh, you know, is probably what, probably double or maybe even triple the uh, numbers of the Air Force Academy. You're looking at, you know, I mean, a much greater difficulty of getting into Space Force from ROTC, but but it still is doable. And it looks like 
uh, that they're taking non-tech, uh, more non-tech than tech. So interesting, uh, interesting information. And don't major in electrical engineering or meteorology. You're not going to you're not going to get into Space Force from ROTC. Yeah, that's that's super interesting. And I know, and sure, it's very competitive. But I I think the the Space Force is capped out at only. Um, I want to say 16,000 people. Uh, I could be wrong there. I might have to fact check me, but yeah, I think they're, they're intentionally trying to stay a a very small service. So I'm sure that certainly contributes to um, the competitiveness to, to try to get in. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Wow. 16,000. That's uh, uh, just a fraction, a fraction of the other services. Right. Uh, with with that being said, what do you think the future of the Space Force is going forward? I think there's a lot of uh, different things that that could happen. You know, um, and you, you might see if you kind of look into the Space Force. There's a lot of talk about being agile, lean, and, and digital. There's going to be a huge um, emphasis on being a digital force, um, even with the way that. Um, the world is, is moving, you know, some of the different directions and, um, you know, the a- adoption of, you know, even industry and, and becoming more digital there as well. And even just access to space, you're seeing a lot of the, the, the industry leaders like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and uh, Richard Branson and, and trying to have this, this assured access to space and, you know, even on the commercial side. So the Space Force has and will continue to have a huge part in that. Um, I'm not sure how much, you know, we'll, we'll be involved with. I'm sure there will be a lot with, with, with Mars exploration, but um, there's also this, um, this, this fact of, you know, space should remain, you know, an uncontested environment. Um, but there are some bad actors out there and we want to make sure that we, you know, protect a lot of our assets that are out there, um, and and make sure that, you know, whatever's happening in space is, you know, we can make sure we have a good pulse on that. And I would wager to say everything that we do have in space is probably some of the most important things that we have to our infrastructure as a nation, um, you know, with satellites, um, you know, think, First thing you do uh, when you wake up on in the morning, if you know you get on your phone, you're already tapping into space. Uh, you're sending a text message, checking your bank account, um, you know, trading on the stock market, um, making a phone call, GPS, making your way to work. You know, everything touches space, uh, and so that environment, you know, when it comes to uh, crippling economies or, you know, waging war is, is all tied to space. So we want to make sure that we have a good control over that and make sure nothing too crazy happens. Now, are we going to get to a point where it's like Star Trek and we have all these battleships in space and stuff like that? I, you know, I can't, I can't say there. <laughs> um, I don't know if we, we, we will get there anytime soon, but, um, yeah, I think, you know, just being able to defend that, that, that that area um of of our i guess the way we work as a nation is 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 crucial yeah it's really fascinating just how little we all think about how tied our lives are to space and and that 
you know, our space forces defending that and, and this, the uncontested nature of space and how contested it is in reality. Yeah. So yeah. very interesting. Uh, Colonel Kirkland, do you have any final thoughts for yeah, Sam? Well, well, I would be amiss to uh, ask uh, what's the role for uh, us Army guys or a Navy person or a Marine uh, in the future of Space Force? Has that been kind of ironed out or have you been hearing anything about uh, ability for other services maybe to become a part of Space Force? Yeah, so I think uh, just recently we transferred some uh, I think everyone from from Navy, Marines, Army, maybe Coast Guard as well uh, into the Space Force. So those individuals are able to transfer. I'm not sure what the, the numbers look like there, but you know, space is a you know a, a joint environment. Um, there's a lot of uh, partnerships with with the Navy and and Army and Marines, whether that's you know at the U.S. Space Command. Or, or everywhere is, you know, everything that does touch space, that, that includes all of our different military branches as well, and our, our allied partners, whether that's, you know, Canada or, or New Zealand or, you know, all these other different countries, it's, you know, there's opportunity to, to tap into it, whether that's, you know, maybe, hey, I'm still wearing the, the Army uniform, but I go serve in a joint um, joint position supporting the space force or something like that. I think there's a plethora of opportunity and probably going to be an increased amount of opportunity in the future for that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I don't have any other questions, Trish. Great. Well, Lieutenant Creamier, thank you so much for our, just giving us some insight into what it's like to be a space force officer and, uh, your time at the, the air force Academy. And we really appreciate everything that you do and thank you for your service thanks for being on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I can't thank you enough for the opportunity to, to come on the show and, and kind of talk about my, my, my experience with the Academy and then all the fun that I'm having in the Space Force. It's, it's certainly a, a fun thing to talk about. And if people ever want to reach me, you know, my, my name is uh, pretty unique, Sam Cremeyer. So just um, you can just reach out if you have more questions. But I think this podcast is phenomenal. Uh, for those individuals looking to, to join the service academy or, or look into the space force, and I, I really look forward to everything that this you know this conversation will do. Well, thanks so much, Sam. Thank you. You've reached the end of another episode of the Gain Service Academy Admission Podcast. Connect with us at gainserviceacademyadmission.com. Love this episode of the podcast. Head over to iTunes, Spotify, or whatever podcast app you listen to to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank you.